This is Ever Present, an Eden Project podcast, equipping you to connect deeply with God, yourself, and others. Welcome to the Ever Present podcast. My name is Duke Rivard. I'm president of the Eden Project. I'm joined by Phil Herndon and Todd Wormers from Ten Man Ministries. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode. Yeah, thanks. Good to be here, Duke. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, so the, the Ever-Present podcast and really all the content we have around the Ever-Present theme is, is really built on a theology of emotion. Mm. It's, uh, it's connected to anthropology, and we feel like this is important because there's a lot of bad ideas about what a human being is and how a human being should function. And some of those bad ideas actually keep us from deep connection with God, ourselves, and others. And so we're really getting after greater emotional awareness so that we can move into relationship with, in, in greater ways aligned with our design. And so um, I don't know two guys in the world that are more equipped to have this conversation. Just really thankful for you guys and, and honestly the decades of ministry that have been building around all these, all these themes. And so uh, today we have the opportunity to get after the theme of sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd, I'll start with you. What, what am I feeling when I feel sad? Of the feeling that God gave us uh, that lets us know that what matters to us or what we're most attached to. And so I think with sadness, sadness is the emotion we'll feel more than any other emotion on the planet because we weren't meant for loss, right? When God created us in the garden, it was meant for longevity. It was meant to, to never lose anything. And at the fall, you know, it wrecked everything. And so I think there's that internal in us like, yeah, this is not how life is supposed to be. And, you know, when people die, you're like, ah, gosh, we're not made to die. We're not, we're not made to die. We're not made for loss. And yet it's one, it's the thing you will feel every day. If you pay attention to yourself, your heart, you will feel sadness to some point throughout the day. So it really shows us what, what we're attached to, what, what matters to us. Okay. You mentioned loss. And so some, some people might go all the way to like the loss of a loved one, right? The death of a a spouse, but I'm hearing you nuance it to say, Hey, it's, it's not just the funeral of, a, of the, your spouse. It's a lot more daily and ongoing. Uh, so maybe nuance, like what are the kinds of losses that people are incurring in a more everyday sense or month to month as they go along through life in a fallen world? Yeah, sure. Here in a few hours, we're going to get Phil and I'll get on a plane and head home to, to Nashville. And there will be a sense of loss in relationship with you guys. Like, man, it's been a great uh, last few days with you. And mm-hmm. I know already, I'm like, man, I'm going to miss those guys. I'm going to feel sad I'm not with them. Glad I'm going home for sure, but a sadness of like, man, I'm going to miss being with the Eden guys. So th- those places, those spaces. Okay. So even, yeah, that vacation hump, right? Mm-hmm. When you get halfway through vacation and realize that you're, you're closer to going home than you are to staying. And you're like, okay, I'm already grieving. The vacation will be over. So and I have to go back to work and back to life. And so, yeah, Phil, how would you uh, also just in- contribute to that around sadness? What are some things that we need to, we need to know and understand when we're feeling sad? What, what's, what are we experiencing? I think Christ followers, Duke, prob- there is such a rich theology under and around sadness. Like it, one of the descriptors of Jesus in the Old Testament is man acquainted with sorrow, a man of grief. Todd mentioned that the universal experience of humans is, is, is loss itself, and we recognize that immediately that we have lost. And you look across the pages of Scripture, there's this scene. It's poignant. The Ephesian elders and Paul are weeping. These men are mm-hmm. wailing because mm-hmm. that Paul's leaving, and they recognize that you know, we may never see him on earth again. 
And there's one thing we know universally internally. Christ followers or anybody else in the world, we know one thing. We know that intuitively, we know that every human relationship on earth ends painfully. Hmm. Every one of them. There's not one relationship that does not end with pain. Ultimately, death, you don't want to be my friend anymore. We drift apart. We get busy. Kids grow up and have the audacity to get married and have their own lives. You know? <laughs> Everything we touch, every relationship we have, we know, Todd mentioned yesterday, Ecclesiastes 3, that God has put eternity in the heart of humans. And part of that eternity is what he said, we're made for eternity, but there's so much interruption of it while we're here <laughs> from Eden. As a matter of fact, and so loss is so universal, and it is so closely related to attachment. If I'm unwilling to grieve, I will not attach. Mm. Therefore, the more deeply I attach, the more grief I experience when, not if, when it ends. Okay. Yeah, that's a great segue. Let's talk about um, what we do with sadness. or Actually, let's start with what what, what happens when we won't grieve, because of all the emotions we've talked about so far, uh, I wonder if sadness is the one that's the most impaired. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot of people mm-hmm. who will not feel their sadness, don't know what to do with their sadness. Uh, what's happening when I won't when I won't process it, when I won't grieve? Frozen sadness comes out in a very powerful, we call them impairments or unhealthy expressions of a feeling. Uh, it's very powerful called self-pity, pouting, isolation, Going behind closed doors, I'm not. You can't make me unfreeze. I mean, that, self-pity is so powerful because when a person's in self-pity, he or she can mount all kinds of evidence as to why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. It never works out for me. Uh, you owe me this. I mean, there's all kinds of phrases associated. You, you with have me. no idea how hard this has been for me. Yes, yeah. all that. Like, and it's powerful. And the evidence, maybe more than any other of the impairments, as we call them, self-pity is the easiest to prove because loss is so universal. Self-pity is – a person can stand self-pity literally across a lifetime because of all the losses that mount up and all the evidence we can present as to how hard this has been for me. And you need to take my sadness for me because I don't want to deal with it myself. Mm. So I pout and isolate. Okay. And in isolation, Todd, how, how, if I do that for a decade, I, I won't feel my sadness. I, I don't know how to lament. I don't know how to grieve. Where do I end up over time? Yeah, I think one of the – here's how you know if you're in self-pity. If you're saying this phrase, because my kids say it often, it's not fair. Hmm. So when I hear it's not fair, I'm like, my kids are not willing to deal with sadness. But then I'm like, oh, man, I say that quite often. And so I might not say it externally, but I'm saying it internally. Man, it isn't fair. And it's like, no, life is not fair. Um, but that's me not wanting to deal with the sadness of the loss that I'm experiencing. And so if I'm in that place of self-pity, life isn't fair, then I'm going to demand that hmm. life be the way I want it. Hmm. And so I, when I get into self-pity and I don't actually deal with the self-pity, I'll demand it be a certain way. And that certain way is my way. Okay. Um, so that's what I would say. And when we get totally into isolation, we'll demand it from other people. Uh, and demand it from God and demand it from our spouse, demand it from our kids, that life has to work the way I want it to work. And if it's not, then I'll I'll just keep demanding. I'll become a a demanding machine. Yeah. There's a character in The Great Divorce from C.S. Lewis who Mm -hmm. has lost a child, Mm -hmm. and uh, her husband and son are also probably grieving. They also lost a son and brother. Uh, but she's using her grief like a nine millimeter. Like she's holding it to people's mm-hmm. heads and she's like, you're going to do everything I say because my life has been hard. 
And and you can just see the demand as as a function of unprocessed grief and the way that everybody else is now held hostage. Like her life has been hard, she's not grieving it, and now we have to obey her every every demand to I don't know, it's almost like to balance out how it's been hard. Like we're gonna try to write the the score a little bit and if you'll do everything I say, then maybe it'll slowly get me back mm-hmm. to sea level. That's right. Um and so yeah, it's such a powerful uh, illustration to even see demand. Uh, as you guys talk about self pity, I think I've heard it said from from uh, one of you guys um, this idea that um, I'm not going to grieve my sadness, but I'm going to tell you about it and almost watch you grieve it, like watch your reaction to it, and almost get some kind of vicarious um, mm-hmm. benefit of, huh? That's what it would look like if I grieved it by watching a surrogate. I mean, is that is that descriptive of some of what's happening in the dynamic when I have when I have self pity? It, it's really it, it, for sure, and it's true for all of them. If you take we, you know, we recorded a podcast around anger. A depressed person will watch movies or watch life happen, and they'll vicariously let other people carry their passion, so they don't have to. Mm-hmm. So that what you said, Duke, is pretty universal around how the impairments actually work. Okay. I can have someone else do the painful mm-hmm. part of feeling this feeling, and I'll watch them do it. Okay. So there's. Really robust neuroscience underneath this sadness in particular. Um, James K. Smith and others have written about our liturgies, our cadences, our patterns. And we, like Todd and I, have a routine. Like I get my car, drive to work. Todd's calling me or I'm calling him almost every day. You know, we talk. And so I'm beginning to count on that. If if Todd were to uh, move away or not be my friend or die or something, part of my brain looks forward to that liturgy of calling mm-hmm. him. And when I can't do that, mm-hmm. it plunges me into, so I, my, my left brain or my recognition in life says, Todd's not here, but my limbic brain says, but I'm looking for him. Mm-hmm. And so our brains keep looking for those losses that we've, we, that we've had. I, you know, we live, my family and I lived here for years here in the Metroplex. And so Todd and I went over there Monday night or some night when we were here, get lost track of days. But as I was going around, it looks different mm. than it did before. Things have aged, and certainly I haven't. But you know, <laughs> things have aged sure. over there, and like I had this sadness in me of seeing these same things I saw for years and years because my neur- the neuroscience under my brain, and God's made our brains, is I'm looking for things to be like they were. Yep, because that's what I remember, what yep. I love, what I miss from here. And when they yep. weren't, it was a uh, it was confusing to me. So it's the same way with with the liturgies we have in relationship. When those come to an end in any way. Our brains continue to look for the liturgy, yeah. and our brains also know it's not here anymore. Yeah. And in the, the Psalms, we see a huge category of lament psalms. Oh, I mean, yeah. it is so clearly present that God, by his wisdom, and, and has given us tools of prayer for what to do with it, how to process it. We have exemplars doing it. We have David. Um, but in, in, let's call it modern evangelicalism, and, and, and really the, the milieu that the three of us have largely been formed in, wouldn't say that the church has been all that famous for lament. Mm. We haven't modeled it very well. Why, why do we? Why do you think the church isn't further along in dealing with sadness, equipping others to deal with sadness, really accessing the lament psalms that are right there for mm-hmm. us in plain sight? Uh, why? Why? Why aren't we stronger in 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 that? Some of the and I come from this tradition in my own family. Man, I, I, I love my Mississippi family like crazy, but there's a, there's been a rule that's been applied, I think inadvertently. That if we lament and grieve, that somehow means we don't trust God. Mm-hmm. Someone dies, I'm not going to be sad. I'm just going to celebrate where they are now. And I've often said, like, yes, I also celebrate where they are, but I grieve where they're not. They're not here with me anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's been this covering put over this feeling in particular. 
in the Western church, I would say largely that if I grieve, it means I'm not trusting or I don't believe in eternity. I don't believe God is good. And that's not necessarily true. That's so good. I'll throw a Bible verse at someone. Hey, God causes all things together for good. So let's just move on. Let's let's boat race past the pain into the the triumph. Um, Yeah. What do you see in that, Todd? What what do you think is contributing to our just inability uh, collectively to really grieve well, model that well, even equip others to do that? I really think it's our refusal to to do pain. We don't. We are pain adverse. We want to run from pain, and so I think doing sadness is so painful because, you know, we, when you just the word attachment. When I attach to something and then it rips from me, that's so painful. And so I think we're trying to avoid the pain. But you know, uh, Phil has said this often. He said, uh, if if we're going to do sadness and we do it well, then we'll actually honor the pain that we're going mm. through. And I think we don't honor the pain. And, you know, it's it's the painful places in life that gives us the most growth. Mm. You know, and I think we just want to avoid pain at all costs. Mm. Yeah, that's a great transition even to the gift of sadness. So mm. if I will deal honestly with it, you're talking about honor. But let's, let's just talk about the full benefit of, of for those who are saying, I'm reluctant, you're saying sad, and I should grieve it, I should step into this process. Uh, what's the gift if I will, if I'll, if I'll really go into it? I think it just it comes to a place of acceptance. And acceptance is it's not okay, but it's going to be okay. And in my own life, you know, I can see doing sadness has, has led me to a place of being able to help other people. Uh, it's not okay. My dad, uh, 14 years ago, committed suicide. And, and being in Texas really evokes something. And I get off the plane, and mm. there's something that happens internally in me. I'm like, man, I— you know, there, there was a part of me that was like, man, I'd love to call my dad and have him. He would have driven up here to, to Dallas just to do dinner. And I'm mm. like, I can't even have that experience. Mm. And so I'm sad about that. I grieve the loss of him. Uh, but I can see now God's used that in my life to be able to speak into other men and women mm. who have, uh, their parents have committed suicide in a way I wouldn't have been able to do 14 years ago. And yeah. it's not okay. There's moments of and yeah. days I will just be driving down the road and, a tear will come to my eye or my thought about my dad and the, the loss of him. And, I'm yeah. like, eh. and there's an acceptance. And yet God is still using that in my life and in that uh, using in the life of other people. Yeah. As you're saying that, Todd, I'm just thinking of second Corinthians one, that the God of all comfort has comforted you mm-hmm. and you're now able to comfort others with the comfort right. through which you've been comforted. That's right. And that becomes a part of, the body life, dealing with this world that loss is going to keep coming, and now you're equipped to be an, an agent of, of healing, mm-hmm. an agent of comforting. Um, yeah, it's even interesting, the Holy Spirit's first title in, in is it John 14 is that the comforter, That's right. uh, which is, is kind of, as, you're, as you said, Phil, it's like if this is um, you know, the biggest emotion or the most frequent emotion of the fallen world, uh, it's really good news that the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I'm on that. <laughs> you know, are going to experience a lot of loss, That's and right, I'm yeah. here as a comforter. It's a title that I, that I bear uh, to attend to that and, and to help you grow through that towards acceptance. So, um, yeah, it's just really, really helpful. Um, yeah, what else do you think is helpful for people to, uh, to, to know about sadness? I know, Phil, you said there's a lot of nuance here, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot we could get into, but— what else do you think people misunderstand about it or need to understand about it to move forward uh, with it? Duke, you you kind of tipped a hand a little bit. You you segued intuitively into this word comfort, which you know we we know uh, emotionally and relationally with other people that when someone is really really sad, 
We want to provide comfort for them. And the word there, that the suffix of comfort, F-O-R-T, the word literally means to fortify. Mm-hmm. So comforting, it means, yeah, grant security in a safe place. It also means to strengthen. That will we're, you know, the, the, the Jews have a tradition called sitting Shiva, and they will just sit with the person on these really low stools to the ground because they know their loved one has been laid low, as they mm-hmm. say. And I'm going to sit down right next to the, to the floor with you in recognition, you've been laid low, and I want to strengthen you with my presence by sitting low with you in that way. And so comfort is part of that, you know, we used the word nuance earlier. It's part of that nuance. And if we could get really, really competent, I'll say emotionally competent, have a strong theology of sadness uh, in the church, or in, the, in the body of Christ, I think it would literally revolutionize how not how we view death, how we view life. Mm-hmm. It's valuable and it's wonderful and it's rich and it doesn't last very long. The writer of Ecclesiastes, you know, calls it a vapor or smoke, and that that it has to do with brevity, but it also has to do with the more I try to control life, the more I try to live in demand and make life work, the faster it dissipates, like smoke does. And so, if, if we could do anything to magically transform Christendom. If we had a, a fuller, deeper recognition of just the universality of loss and how it is the opportunity to give and to receive fortification in the body of Christ and the capital C comforter, I think it would make such a difference in how we approach relationships in the body and relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I think something I would add to all that is, you know, we talked in our earlier podcast about anger. And many people want to get to anger. They want that passion. They want that desire. Well, the doorway to anger is sadness. You see that with Jesus when he overlooks the city of Jerusalem. He weeps for the city. And it was his weeping that led him to the anger to go into the city Mm. to do something about it. And so I often tell people um, when I'm with them one-on-one and in session, they're like, man, I I have a desire, I have a passion, I have these longings, I want to go do something. I'm like, have you done sadness? And they're like, no, and I'm not going to. I'm like, well— then you're, you won't get to that anger that you have. You have to deal with the sadness, because if you're not going to deal with the sadness, then when you get into the places of desire and passion, you'll then go into demanding that it be your way, and mm. it's no longer true anger. So sadness is really the doorway into anger. That's so helpful. Maybe uh, give us a couple of pointers. So let's say I've just had somebody in my community experience deep loss. So I'm on the receiving side. It's not my loss, it's their loss, but I'm ministering to them or I have an opportunity to minister to them. What would you say to do, you know, what, what is wisdom on, on being on the other side of someone who's processing sadness? There's a familiar phrase called being, being Jesus in human flesh, so to speak. And you look, you've referred several times, Duke, like as we're recording these and, and other places, lunch and other places about your, you have such a beautiful heart toward uh, lamenting through the Psalms. Like I've, every time I hear Todd and I've talked about that, like, man, Duke is, he has dialed into the beauty mm-hmm. of lament you know, and how David so expresses that. And so uh, I think around the, 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 the question you ask in particular around that is like, if we come into the presence of someone that we know is grieving, if we think about those lament Psalms, a person that's crying out that way to God is also going to be crying out that way to me, whether he or she says it or not. Mm-hmm. Like, what do most of the lament psalms have to do with God? Where are you? How long is this going to be? And is this ever going to end? Mm-hmm. And so we, as we can sit with people, we can know that that's 
judging by the Psalms, we can know that that's what's going over and over and over into them, and we can offer true hope, not hope that says, I just know this is going to be great in a few days, mm-hmm. but the hope that says, I know what God says is true. I also know where you are is true. And let me sit with you and wait until you can have words to articulate your heart in both of those worlds. Mm, but God's so word says is true, and this loss is true too. So let's just talk all between those two poles. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Eugene Peterson talking about how so many people overfunction mm-hmm. in that moment mm-hmm. and they throw too many Bible verses or they mm-hmm. try to move people too quickly mm-hmm. through that into some kind of happy ending mm-hmm. or whatnot. But I'm hearing a lot around the patience, yeah. curiosity the gift of presence, yes. that I can't fix this, but I can attend to you and, and let you know you matter and mm-hmm. your grief matters and your loss matters, and I see you, um, yeah, which is such a gift for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe even pressure off to, to someone to say, hey, you don't have to solve it. Like You're not, you're not the fire department that's come in to, to deal with this and to make it all better. Uh, you're actually doing more often by just being there and attending and, and, yes. and giving your presence to somebody who is just sad and... Um, yeah, it was such a powerful gift. Uh, Todd, any other advice you would give to people? They've encountered a friend yeah. who's suffering, and, and they're just, they don't know what to do. They, they, they may overfunction, underfunction, but they're trying to figure out the course. I always say, don't do what Job's friends did. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Job had lost everything, and then his friends come, and for the first, they do, as uh, Phil said earlier, they, they sit with him, and they're grieving with him, and then they couldn't tolerate their own grief. Hmm. And they're not tolerating their own grief. They tried to push him into, man, just get get through this quickly. Yeah. And so I think it's a patient process uh, of just sitting with people and uh, start paying attention to your grief mm-hmm. as you sit with other people's grief. Mm-hmm. And, so and I think you paying attention to your own grief will let, give you the courage and the, and the patience to sit with someone else's. Yeah, that's so good. It's also a great tease for fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These guys are scared too. That's a great. Mm-hmm. It is. Man, there's so much there. They, they, for seven days, they were silent. Seven days, they nailed it, actually. The they gift of presence, crushed it. they crushed it, and then they, they got impatient. And, and, they, and they started to presume, right? They started to imagine they knew more about the situation than they knew. They, you know, Job doesn't even know really what's going on fully. They don't know what's going on, but they're starting to guess. You know? and, and sometimes we talk about that, that, um, the pole of judgment versus curiosity, but even coming in with someone and saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't fully know what it's like mm-hmm. to lose a child. Or mm-hmm. I don't know, sitting with you, what it's like to have my father commit suicide. Like, I truly don't know. If I try to grab a Bible verse and I try to presume on you and I start to just throw that at you and the right answers, I'm, I'm doing what Job's friends are, had, did, mm-hmm. had done to him. It's like, I'm just presuming all over you. That's right. I'm trying to solve you. Which, and it's honestly probably more about my That's own. Right emotional life and me wanting to get us back to equilibrium and it's uncomfortable to see you in such a disoriented state and I've got to hurry up and resolve that so I don't have to feel that and so I would just encourage the audience even as you have those reactive moments maybe you would really wish to fast forward the movie and get somebody Mm. through something I'd be curious about what's going on in your own chest Uh, maybe a lot more about you than it is the other person and it may not actually be that helpful to them uh, if, if you're if you're trying to move them too quickly past something that isn't really authentically being formed in them. And so, um, yeah, this has just been really helpful, guys. I think um, sadness is something that we probably all want to uh, not experience, mm-hmm. uh, but we've just said, honestly, you're going to experience it. Uh-huh. And there's a way through it, though. And sure. there's a way that can result in comfort. There's a way in which I can move through it authentically and, and come to acceptance and and continue to move forward and maybe even as an agent of comfort for others mm-hmm. um, and be more equipped 
maybe more humble and empathetic uh, and a better friend, uh, a better part of the community, helping others also who will incur loss. So thank you guys for this. Thank you. Really helpful. Thanks for listening to the Ever Present Podcast. If this resource has been helpful to you, we would ask that you share it with your friends. Leave a comment on the podcast platform and help get this resource into the hands of other people. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at podcast at edenteam.org. And now as you go throughout the rest of your day, just remember that God's posture toward you is strong, persistent, and positive. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.